Welcome to the Simple Cocktails Podcast, episode three from Tales of the Cocktail. I'm Greg Mays, managing editor of SimpleCocktails.net. And I'm Lisa Mays. Thanks for tuning in. This episode is sponsored by Jägermeister and Catoctin Creek Distilling Company, home of Roundstone Rye Whiskey. Day three is in the books. Day three is in the books. Yep, we're done. We were past the halfway point, and we're yeah. still alive. Yeah, I'm really sad. One more day left for us. Yeah. Wow, that's it. One more. Yeah. Uh, today was really fun. It there was. There was so much good stuff that happened today, and I we're just going to get right into it. Right. So, f- start of the day at the Hotel Montleon. Hotel Montleon is where Tales of the Cocktail sort of lives. Now, imagine a hotel lobby that is absolutely jam-packed with people who are loud. There was, for some reason, there was a T-Rex in there today. (laughs) I'm not sure the reasoning for that. (laughs) There's a guy that's been walking around with a pair of shorts, a suit coat, no shirt, and a cigar in his mouth. Yeah, this ain't like no small guy either. Yeah, he's he's large. He's... (laughs) He's a good six inches taller than me, and I'm right, a big man. Right, right. Two hundred and something pounds. Right, his chest <laughs> is massive. He may be close to. He three. wants you to look at him, and he I does. am like determined not to look at him. Yeah. So far, I'm not doing a good job of that. It's hard. I wa- <laughs> I stare right into his chest every time I see the man. I do. I can't it's help mesmerizing it. those pecs. That's eye level. It's eye level for me. So. That tan. That's right. He's tan head to toe. I don't know how he does it. <laughs> so Tales of the Cocktails fun. We were at Hotel Montleon this morning, early birds, and we saw Gary Regan. Uh, Gary Regan is someone I reference relatively often. Sometimes he goes by Gaz Regan. Let's hear what Gaz had to say. Very happy to be here with Gary Regan. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. Good. How are you? Great, thanks. Good. So is it Gary or Gaz? I never know. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter? It doesn't matter, no. Bartenders are so friendly with, call me whatever you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's like, what does it matter? As long as you want my attention, call me whatever you want. So uh, I have a blog called Simple Cocktails. I'm, I'm curious what your... Uh, what your favorite simple cocktails are? What do you make yourself when you, you don't want to work too hard? I have two go-to cocktails. Yeah. They're both simple. Okay. Manhattans oh, yeah. and Negronis. Oh, yeah. Those are my go-tos. Very good. And um, most of the drinks I enjoy are very simple. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I've appreciated cocktails that are like molecular cocktails sure i appreciate them it's not what i order when i go out interesting yeah that's very interesting yeah it's it seems like all the classics are pretty simple it's hard to get find an old classic recipe that's more than three yeah three or four ingredients that's usually it yeah yeah yeah. you written a book on the negroni yes i did yeah yeah yeah, it's a great book i really appreciate it thank you thanks yeah I enjoyed doing that. Putting it together was lots of fun. It's it's kind of a love letter to your one of your favorite drinks. It sounds like exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah that's what it is. Yeah, very yeah. nice. Tell tell so tell our listeners a little bit about what they could expect from your Negroni book. Uh, well, I for me the best part of the book is the history of Count Negroni, right? Who for many years I thought was a fictional character. Right. I really believe that Campari had invented Count Negroni. <laughs> right. But then Dave Wondrich, the fabulous historian, right. uh, 
filled us all in on who Count Negroni was. Right. And he was such a colorful character. He was a cowboy in the USA wow. in the late 1800s. He rode the rail. Right. He, played, he rode the trails. He was a bronco buster. He was a tough mother. <laughs> um, and he was a, just a great character. Yeah. So learning the history of the real Count Negroni was my favorite part of the book. That's great. That's one of my favorite parts of the book, so we appreciate that. Well, I appreciate you talking to me. Yeah. Have a great time at Tales of the Cocktail. Thanks so Thanks. much. It's been great to meet you. Yeah, thank you. Okay. And immediately afterwards, we ran into our friends from New Mexico, Bill York and Chris McMillan, who are representing Bitter in Bitters. And I talked to Bill, got a little summary of what Bitter in Bitters is all about. We have to talk to Bill York, who is behind Bitter and Bitters, mainly because you're a New Mexican. Hello. Hey, how are you, Bill? I'm good, Greg. How are yeah. you? You had enough to drink at Tails? Um, I'm getting there. Okay. Yeah. You're doing your best. I'm, I'm, there's still booze left. Okay, that's yeah. right. Yeah, we're working on that. I'll, I will fix that. <laughs> so, what is Bitter and like? What makes it different from other bitters? <laughs> bitter and is, first of all, it's culinary based. Mm. So it's all based on different foods from around the world, but all of those foods that we, the, the ones that we pick to uh, to profile are spicy foods. We definitely amp up that spiciness to sort of just to make it more concentrated. We want we want it to be so concentrated that you only have to use a very little bit. So all the flavors, not just the spiciness, is concentrated, but everything is concentrated so very small amounts very very much drops and not dashes drops not dashes yeah, yeah awesome so so flavors are like memphis barbecue mexican mole chesapeake bay thai bitters so uh curry jamaican jerk there you go and moroccan nice uh, so seven total yep seven flavors total perfect yep, perfect and, and then the uh the variety pack which includes some of the more popular flavors nice well that's great uh, and everybody should definitely check out bitter in bitters especially because they're from new mexico absolutely but also because they're awesome well thank you good talking to you bill nice talking to you great these interviews brought to you by the all-natural machu pisco celebrating the centennial of the pisco sour visit and friend their facebook page for recipes and celebrations of the cocktail and their co-master blender who is older than the pisco sour and speaking of that, we'll get to that shortly. We actually got a little insight into their co-master blender. Right. So after we left our friends from New Mexico, the bitter end, we went on to Bourbon House on Bourbon Street. That's and right. we were able to have lunch with the Sazerac team. And they had a special thing to announce to us. We had no idea. Nobody there had any idea. In fact, everybody thought it was a new spirit. Right. And it turned out they had something even cooler to announce. I thought it was awesome. So they, if any of you ever had a copy of Mr. Boston, right, which is like a famous cocktail book, I guess the first edition came out in 1935, which yeah. I learned today. Yeah, classic book. Sazerac Company owns the rights to Mr. Boston, and they went back and recollected every version they could of the Mr. Boston book. How many book. versions was that? Well, like 16, 18? 17. Yikes. You were right in the middle. <laughs> 16 around or somewhere. 18. Which one was it? <laughs> All I know, honestly, about that book is anytime you pull that out for our podcast, yeah. I really start to cringe because I'm like, oh crap, that's going to be an old school cocktail that involves either milk, yeah. gin, something crazy like that in a rye. Right. 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 
So um, it was nice to to hear what they had to say, and I'm super excited for what they're going to do. Yeah, so we'll give you a sneak preview. It's something that's available now, but it's something that will continue to become better. And uh, if you've ever had a copy of Mr. Boston's Cocktail Guide, which again, from 35 to now, there was 17 editions. Right. Uh, you can find your way to MrBostonDrinks.com, and they have actually chronicled Every cocktail recipe from Mr. Boston from 1935 till now. So you can look up a recipe like, what's an old-fashioned recipe? And it'll give it to you, but it gives you the modern recipe. You can go back and say, what did this recipe look like in 1988? Right, that's fascinating. Well, the the group of us basically decided that the 80s were sort of the dark period. <laughs> right, that's when cocktails. they started messing it up. We, we were looking at cocktails that were like, these are awesome cocktails. Let's see what they look like in the 80s. <laughs> And it was, it was way fun. It's a really amazing database, yeah. and I think it's super functional. I'm excited to go in there and just start perusing around. Yeah, for sure. So that was fun. Then we rushed immediately off to an, another seminar. This was Milk Punch. Have you ever heard of Milk Punch, Lisa? I have never heard of Milk Punch. Neither have I. Right. Uh, to me, a milk punch is scotch, milk, and some nutmeg. It was some of those Boston recipes that I was talking about. I know, right? That made me cringe. This Liquor is something completely different, and I am so on board with this. It was mind-blowing. It was. So this is, I think the word you could add is clarified milk punch. Right. So we attended the seminar that was hosted by our sponsor, Machu Pisco, and it was about milk punch. Milk punch apparently dates back to about Benjamin Franklin-ish. Right. <laughs> and it's this, it, it, what you do is you make a drink in a batch, like a large batch, with milk, citrus, a bunch of herbs and spices, and then booze. And what happens is if you do it the right way, you heat it up or whatever, you do it the right way, mm -hmm. you filter it, it's very complex. Right. You almost make a cheese out of it, and you then do. you continue to distill it. And the stuff that is dripped through is clear. Right. So, not, yeah, it's clear. It's crystal clear. It might have a little brown tint or it might have a little green tint if you add some cucumber or whatever. But if done right, it should be crystal clear. So, a milk punch is this cocktail that you can see through and you add some booze to it and all that. What did you, what did you think of the milk punch? I loved it. It had a creaminess to it. I'm not really one of those persons that is crazy for cream in their drinks you yeah. know so um, these people have to picture the fact that these drinks were not creamy right right they were clear they, they i were loved it obtuse, it had they were opaque. it had that sense to it though it had that taste to it i really loved it you weren't much of a fan of it but to me i'm like yeah i'm going to be distilling this come christmas and giving it out to friends yes so if you get it that it's because lisa won <laughs> <laughs> i didn't dislike it but it, it so I'll say a couple of things. It just didn't tickle your fancy, and that's okay. It was the one of the most unusual taste profiles yeah. I have ever experienced yeah. in my life. It was this fascinating punch of like spices, like anise and cinnamon and stuff. But then there was this milky aftertaste, but it was this clear substance. It was fascinating. I'll mm -hmm. say for sure it was fascinating. Right. And then I'll follow it up by saying, I don't know that I liked it a lot. You wouldn't be buying it at a craft store. I had to bar. chew like four pieces of gum when I was <laughs> done because I had this really strange milky taste yeah. on my tongue. But it's pretty exciting for being a new like invention. Do you know what I mean? Maybe they might have done it earlier on. 
But for us, this was new and it was pretty yeah. exciting. And First I'd like to try to it. do it ourselves. Yeah, you're exactly right. First time we've heard of it. And then, of course, we got the first opportunity to meet face-to-face Lizzie, who is uh, the president of Machu Pisco. Right. Hands down, probably one of the most passionate and excitable distillers I have ever met. I'm just going to say this. Lizzie is fun. Yes. Lizzie is sweet. Yes. And we get a lot of hugs from Lizzie. <laughs> God bless Lizzie. Lizzie Asher, who is uh, happily for us and hopefully for you a sponsor of Simple Cocktails this year. We're really happy to have you on board. And uh, your brand is Machu Pisco. So tell us about Machu Pisco. Well, Machu Pisco is one of Peru's um, Pisco brands. Uh, we were actually the first company to bring a premium Pisco to the market. Nice. Um, prior to us, there was only the alleged Pisco from the country south of us that mm. will, shall remain unnamed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, we were, my sister, who founded the company and is our master distiller, um, really her vision was to bring a top quality Pisco product to the U.S. And this is her dream now today blossoming into reality. So I've read articles about you, you oh, know, the, having a female master distiller. Yeah. That's a pretty awesome thing. So so touch on that a little bit. That obviously makes you really unique and uh, special. So so talk about that a little. Sure, sure. Um, gladly. Actually, um, well, my, my, my sister's pretty unique. Uh, and but we come from a very long line of independent and incredibly strong women and in fact our grandmother turned 101 this year wow. and our grandmother was um, the person who really inspired us in terms of our my sister's pisco production and her approach so our brand la diablada is our super premium blend mm. and that brand was actually created by my sister and my grandmother together. Wow. And to this day, my grandmother at 101 still tastes every year's blend before it's released. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Very so nice. we're multi-generational and in fact all women. We have our grandmother, we have my mom who does her PR, our aunt who does quality control, my sister is a master distiller. Um, I'm the president of the company, but that's just a really fancy title for jack of all trades. Yeah. And uh, the newest generation is our cousin who is 26 and our brand ambassador in the UK. Oh, that is really cool. <laughs> that's really cool. Literally 75 years of women. That's incredible. That's yeah. incredible. What's what's uh, distribution look like right now? Where are you? Where can people find you? Oh, e- excellent question. Yes. Go out and look for us. Yeah. You want to um, buy it, right? Yes, definitely. <laughs> well, um, the U.S. obviously is our main um, export country. Um, and you can find us in 23 different states in the U.S., Um, but you can order our products online from uh, drinkupnewyork.com, and they ship all over the U.S., Um, but we're also in several countries um, besides the U.S. Um, We export to the U.K., we export to France, we export to Italy, we export to Austria, um, Dubai, Hong Kong, Thailand, Korea. Oh, wow. Um, so it's it, it's an adventure. And, and in fact, actually, this year we opened Australia as our, our new market. Very so, nice. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So now, now we can say we're 
really truly you know expanding to other continents. If yeah, you know. that's right. Yeah. That's right. How is uh, so? How's reception been around the world? What are people well, thinking of it? What are they making with it? You know, okay, that's an excellent question. Um, what they're making with it, because I, our experience has been that everybody knows the pisco sour as obviously the anchor cocktail for the category, and while that is definitely the entry point, we have we have found that in different countries. They have different approaches, and uh, they're making different cocktails with it, and that's what I'm finding really exciting. Mm. Um, because for us, when my sister and I talk about pisco, um, the first thing we love to say is that it's Peru's national spirit. Right. But the second most basic definition is that pisco is just a white spirit made from grapes. Mm. It's a grape distillate, mm -hmm. and it is extremely versatile, and it's not just a one-trick pony, so you can make white Negronis with it. Um, my favorite thing is actually to build grape-on-grape -grape cocktails. Um, so, for example, I love to mix sherry and pisco, or pisco and champagne, or cava and sparkling wine. Um, and the really amazing thing about what allows for that to happen is that in Peru, we can make pisco from eight different grapes yeah. and all the grapes have different taste profiles and they have different um, aromas and so the idea when you bring different grapes and I talk about building grape on grape cocktails is that you want to use the specific profile of any individual grape to mix with different you know and specific brands that are featuring other grapes as an example um, we my favorite um, Negroni and the first actually Negroni uh, made with Pisco to go in the cocktail menu um, was done by Leo Robicek at the Nomad in New York and he loves Dolan um, uh, as, as a vermouth. And he tried two of our different brands. So um, we make, my sister produces, three different brands of Pisco, each representing one of the styles of Pisco in Peru. We have Machu Pisco that represents our puros. A puros means single varietal Piscos. Ours is made with a quebrante grape. And then we have the blend that I was talking about that my sister developed with my grandmother. Right. And that features quebranta as the base, but then three aromatic grapes. And the third style is a Mosto Verde, which is essentially its own unique beast. I mean, it's just such a, I think, fun new opportunity for um, mixologists to get really creative. Well, I, I appreciate your passion. I think you, you exhibit a great deal of passion and your family's passion. And so, uh, you know, we thank you for being our sponsor and, and for your passion about your product. And it's definitely something that people need to check out. So thank you. Oh, thank you. I hope so. And, you know, they, in their bars or restaurants or at home, mm -hmm. you know, and people should definitely uh, look into making what I, my favorite cocktail actually um, is the Pisco Punch. And very few people actually know this. Um, but the Pisco Punch was actually created long before the Pisco Sour. The original Pisco cocktail is actually the Pisco Punch that was created during the time um, of the 49ers 
in San Francisco. Wow. Because before the, during the gold rush era, before the railroads were laid down, San Francisco depended on their trade routes up and down uh, the Pacific. And the largest port in South America used to be the uh, port of Pisco. Wow. So all boats used to dock, load up Pisco, bring up supplies to San Francisco, and actually Pisco has been in the U.S. since the 1850s. All right. And the Pisco punch is essentially Pisco, pineapple, lime, and that's just a basic skeleton and whatever else you want to create to be creative with it. So Sounds like we need to have a party, Lisa. Yes. <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> it sounds oh, great. It, it's a great summer party cocktail. That's, I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> I say yes, too. <laughs> good answer. Good answer. Awesome. Special thanks to our sponsor, Jägermeister, the 80-year-old German digestif that's refined one year in oak barrels. Visit Jägermeister.com for cocktail recipes and more. This episode is also brought to you by Catoctin Creek Distilling Company, home of Roundstone Rye Whiskey, available in 14 states and internationally. Fermented, distilled, aged, and bottled at our Virginia distillery. Do you know where your whiskey is made? Visit CatoctinCreek.com for more information or to order online. Next thing we got to do is go to the movies. Right. It wasn't Ghostbusters. <laughs> it wasn't. You really want to see Ghostbusters? I really do. We'll see it soon. <laughs> Women unite. I know. <laughs> this. So this was a uh, specific details of the cocktail. This was bartender at large, right? Which we um, we had a little piece of because they right. came through Santa. We Fe. were able to support at the very the ground of it. Yeah. Eric Castro, we interviewed him last year at Tales of the Cocktail. He is the owner of Polite Provisions in San Diego. Amazing fella. That's right. Uh, he and his wife came through Santa Fe uh, in the winter. It was cold. I was wearing a jacket. I don't know when that was. <laughs> I miss those days. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. cold weather. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so Eric made a documentary called Bartender at Large that really highlighted uh, cocktail towns that no one knows a lot about. Right. So it wasn't New York City. It was like Boise, Idaho, Santa Fe, New Mexico. Right. You, somewhere in Utah. That kind <laughs> of stuff. I don't know. I don't know Utah. So it was. It was really good. I'm going to be frank with you. A, the cocktails were amazing. So they had cocktail cups that were wooden. On these trees. That totally got you, didn't it? You picked your own cup, and then you took it up, and they <laughs> made you a drink. Number two, the documentary was freaking awesome. Yeah. And I got a little misty you like four did. times. When anyone talks about passion cocktails, it just hits you right there. I know. I just <laughs> weep. The drinking helps, but I just weep. <laughs> and so it, it was a great documentary. Can I, I hope I'm allowed to say this. We're in it for like... Two seconds. Two seconds. Hey. It was the best two representing. seconds. So it was fun to be a part of this really cool thing. Right. And we were honored to actually watch it with uh, Eric and his wife, Amelia. And uh, it was a great flick. So I encourage you when Bartender at Large comes out, go out and take a look. From there, I was able to sit down with Charlotte Voise. Charlotte is the director of brand advocacy for William Grant and Sons. Right. So I was actually able to ask her important questions like, what the heck is William Grant and Sons? Who's heard of that? <laughs> that you know, questions like that that people who bartend at home may not even know. Right, right, right. For us, we kind of know because we've heard the name here and there. 
Uh, but it was a great time to sit down and talk about what she does and the connection to you guys, home bartenders. Introduce yourself as far as your title and who you're with and, and everything. So I'm currently the Director of Brand Advocacy for William Grant & Sons here in the U.S. Okay. It's a fancy title. Um, basically it means I look after mixology and our ambassadors for okay. the portfolio of spirits that is William Grant & Sons here in America. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I know what William Grant & Sons is, but, but that's one thing that I started to realize. To me, something like Diageo or William Grant & Sons, that, I, know, I can interpret that. Yep. But a lot of time, a home bartender or someone who's just thinking about making drinks goes in a store. Yep. William Grant & Sons doesn't necessarily mean anything to no, them. So, right. so explain what that is. Yes, so William Grant and Sons it was a company, a family company founded on Glenfiddich Single Malt back in 1886. Okay. Uh, since then has slowly and steadily increased its portfolio of spirits. Um, most notably Hendrix Gin about 15 years ago was launched. That's my favorite brand. It's my baby, no secret. Uh, but we also, we also have the Balvenie Single Malt. We have an Irish whiskey, Tullamore We have Sailor Jerry Rum. Uh, we have Reka Vodka from Iceland, oh, yeah. Malagro Tequila, Montelobos Mezcal, Anchoreas. Um, we have a couple of agency brands as well, for example, Flor de Caña Rum from Nicaragua. So William Grant & Sons refers to the portfolio of spirits, but there's about 10 brands there that's, that stand alone. Perfect. Yeah. So the things you do, it sounds like they're pretty high level. You're working with people who are working on specific brands. Yes. Do you, do you find yourself working on specific brands in certain cases? How does that look for your day in, day out? Yeah, so each of our brand ambassadors are very specific to one brand. So our Hendrix ambassadors embody the style and personality of Hendrix Gin and they work solid on that brand as, as the others do too. My role is to A, support them, and be a mentor to them, mm-hmm. um, which is just code word for I'm old <laughs> or experienced in the industry. Um, there are sometimes there's opportunities for events or, or consumer facing activity for us to pull some brands together. Maybe not all of them, maybe it's um, you know, Hendrix with Raker and Malagro Tequila because at a social event people like to drink gin, vodka and tequila and have options. So sure. often I'll pull some of the brands together and activate with, uh, with a few of them at one time. Nice. Um, yeah. So what's travel look like? A lot of travel? A lot of travel, yeah. yeah. It used to be about sort of 75% of my time, which is a lot of travel. Now it's probably settled down to about 40 or 50%, okay. uh, so a little less so. But yes, I'm responsible for the whole country. Um, and as you well know right now in this industry, cocktails are popping all over the place. It's, yeah. uh, it's an exciting time to be in the industry. So there's, there's uh, events and audiences that are keen to learn all over America. So how does that, um, these audiences, do you, are, are the, your audiences, are they bartenders? Are they, because as I told you, we're really talking to home bartenders and yep. trying to sort of, trying to lift the veil, the intimidation yep. factor. And so I'm curious if you, if you have opportunities to get in front of kind of home bartenders or, yep. or how it translates from you to them. Yeah, so um, for cocktail enthusiasts or home bartenders, absolutely. I do lots of seminars and events. For example, Aspen Food and Wine or the Epcot Food and Wine series that they have down at, in Disney World. Um, I also have an online video show, The Proper Pour with Charlotte Voisey, 
which is quite a simple instructional video, so showing people how to make cocktails. Um, it's, it's probably in between bartenders and home bartenders. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not necessarily doing anything that's very technically advanced, yeah. um, but it still provides inspiration for bartenders. So I've had some feedback that home bartenders find it useful as well. That was, I, I forgot to tell you that part. That yeah. When I was starting Simple Cocktails, that was really significant for me. Really the whole, the whole like small screen network, yeah. all those guys, including you. Great. Yeah, really helpful to see people, uh, see kind of these high-level bartenders making stuff and explaining it and you can watch it happening. That's that's a really helpful thing. So it's, yeah. you know, thank goodness for the internet. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, talk more about Hendrix. You said Hendrix yeah. is your baby. I want to know more about that. Hendrix is a beloved gin, I would say. Yeah. I've never heard of anyone that didn't like Hendrix, but I'd like to hear your perspective on it. Yeah, that. so I started working for the company in 2006 at a time where uh, gin was starting to come back, but it was by no means back in the fashion that it is today with over 400 and counting gins available in America, right? right. It was still sort of the older generation drank gin and it was a little stuffy and people preferred vodka. So with Hendrix, I had this wonderful opportunity to uh, give gin a second chance for a lot of people um, and I think you know the famous cucumber note uh, was curious to people so they're like oh okay we'll, we'll give this a try we'll give it a go um, so it was it was quite rewarding for me to take um, come across a lot of people who thought gin was either boring or they didn't like it and actually start to change their minds and you're right there's very very few people that um, I've ever seen who don't like it. Yeah. So you don't really hear of that. Well, it's a great neutral ground. That's yeah, what I feel yeah, like. You know? Yeah, it's, it's pleasant. It's inoffensive. It's, it's fun. So. Perfect. Yeah, and, and Hendrix, as, a, as a, an English person, you know, gin is sort of our spirit. Right. As a bartender, gin's great to work with because there's so many classic cocktails with right. gin. There's tons of inspiration. And because Hendrix has 11 botanicals plus the two essences, so right there are 13 kind of ingredients that you could riff off or show in a cocktail. So there's, there's lots of um, options with gin. So I think that's one of the reasons why bartenders love it and myself included yeah I yeah. think so I think and I think that message is getting out I think it's getting from bartenders to everybody else because yeah. I, I'm starting to run into people I mean uh, my wife and I were talking about we have friends that are not cocktail people at all but they go out and get like French 75s and oh, stuff and it's great like, yeah well, you hear them order this and you're like wow how did you know <laughs> yeah. yeah it's working right yeah exactly that's so, so good uh, a lot of the cocktails that I've seen you make on your video series are with scotch. Mm -hmm. So what's um, yeah yeah talk about talk about scotch talk about brands you like you know preferences that sort of thing. Yeah, so obviously we have a heavy um, scotch presence in our portfolio. It's what the company's built on. Um, and I, as a bartender, I believe that no spirit is out of reach of, of the modern mixologist, right? It's all about understanding how the spirits are made, where the flavor comes from, and which ones you want to showcase and, and show off. Um, and, and there's also a fair amount of lots of classic whiskey cocktails. So sometimes it's fun to take an old classic maybe that's a bourbon drink or a rye cocktail and try it with scotch because you'll see the difference and that might sort of blossom into a new flavor profile or something nice um and do you have a do you have a favorite scotch cocktail my favorite one actually is one i designed a few years back for glenfiddich uh the 12 year old which has a beautiful pear note mm. sort of fresher fruits orchard fruits um and i created a, a cocktail with glenfiddich and hendrix and pear and it's 
it's really beautiful it's essentially sort of a pear martini I was asked to create a pear martini and I think the, the, the client the person who asked me was expecting me to use vodka right and it would be sort of a easy drinking another sort of fruit and I came back with a scotch drink <laughs> but it really tasted of pear because of that note I was able to highlight it and, wow, and draw it out that's really yeah. cool that's yeah. what's the recipe of that uh, so it would be uh, an ounce of each Glenfiddich 12 and Hendrix mm-hmm. um, two ounces of a pear uh, nectar or puree mm-hmm. and then a half ounce of lemon and a half of agave nectar wow. which I like to use with sort of richer spirits yeah, yeah. so that one is the, the Scottish pear yeah that yeah. sounds great so from my perspective I'm watching home bartenders uh, from yours what are you seeing are you seeing anything um, either on on the professional side that you're seeing maybe trickle into the home or vice versa I've, I've heard some bartenders say that sort of thing when when the home bartender becomes more knowledgeable uh, some of them are more fun to serve because they're coming in uh, yeah. That's I'm, I'm curious your perspective on that one thing I think that I've, that's been interesting recently is sort of the rise or the rebirth of the Negroni. Yeah. You know, it, it's back. Everyone's enjoying them. Everyone's uh, twisting on them. It's showing the home bartender how sometimes just three simple ingredients go together. It's a very easy cocktail to make. It's also easy to screw up if you don't know what you're doing, right. but it's quite a, a simple one. And I think that that's inspired this idea of just having a few staples at home and starting with simple drinks. Um, and not having to go out and buy all of these different bottles that you might just use a tiny dash of and then they sit there and collect dust. Because that doesn't really encourage or motivate one to invest more and, and try things out. So I think the, the Negroni as a bartender trend has, has been a good one for home bartenders. There's even been a few books, I think, on three ingredient cocktails yeah. to see you know, how far just three bottles could sort of stretch. Day three is in the books of Tales of the Cocktail. Uh, we've had a great time so far, and we're looking forward to the rest that's ahead of us. So keep on listening. we got one more episode from Tales, and then we're going to do a summary episode next week. So stay tuned in to the podcast, and let us know what you think. I'm Greg Mays, Managing Editor of SimpleCocktails.net. And I'm Lisa Mays. Remember to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Cheers.